You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Keep building those relationships. And then we talk about relationships that ties right in with this morning's message. Um, relationship. Anybody in the room have relationships with anybody? Like we all do, right? It's not a trick question. Um, not telling dad that you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend now. Don't do that. Do that later on your own time. Um, but we all have relationships with people. Um, sometimes, though, sometimes we do a great job at maintaining those relationships, and sometimes we don't do such a good job, and they kind of struggle. Relationships take a great deal of work, especially if we want them to succeed, right? You think about those relationships you have that are good, it's because you've spent time. Um, the ones that are bad, maybe you haven't spent as much time and there's some bad blood there and just some frustrations. The reality, though, is that every single person in the world is incompatible with everybody else. <laughs> That's the reality of it. We have to spend time with each other. All you have to do to find out if you're compatible or not is spend some good quality time with somebody, right? You spend a little time with them and you're like, yeah, see you later. Um, I'm going to find somebody else to hang out with. Uh, our family has this test that we do. And uh, since Pam's been sick, we haven't been able to do it as much, but we have this awesome dining room table and we like to get together and um, used to like to play cards a lot. Anybody, card games, anybody? Yeah. And so we have this test. We would play cards with whoever it is we're introducing into the family. Because you really get to find out who somebody is when you're sitting across the table from them playing cards, right? You find out who I am, and you're like, ooh, he's a pastor. Um, and then you maybe don't want to play cards with me anymore. Um, but we usually have nerds, if you ever heard of that, phase 10, five crowns. That really is when you see who we are as people. When we play, we talk, uh, we engage with each other. Uh, we did that to Jay, um, Abby, my daughter's um, husband. Uh, he passed the test, uh, but he thinks we're crazy. Um, we did that in Esses Park this year with Liz, Brandon's girlfriend, my son's girlfriend. Um, and it looks the preliminary results of that test. I think Liz is going to be okay. Uh, we need a few more tests to get to know her. Um, but, but relational things. What are we doing to get to know people? What are we doing to, to engage with each other? There's relational challenges in every level of our lives, in our marriages, in our friendships, family, businesses, here in the church, right? Relational challenges. That's why being in God's word is so important. It helps shape us. It, it helps make us more Christ-like. We get instruction on how best to relate with each other. And we have Jesus as the ultimate example of what we should be like in relationships, but before we get too far, we want to stop and pray real quick. Father God, I thank you for this day. We're here this morning, Lord, to hear from you, to hear from your word, to be led by your Holy Spirit. 
You know everything about us. You know our strengths, our struggles. And Lord, we pause this morning and ask that you would send your Holy Spirit. Consume anything in us, in our hearts, our minds, that's not of you. Open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart ready to receive what you have for us today. Just as Samuel said, Lord, here I am, speak to me. We say, here we are, Lord, speak to us. And then help us to respond in a way that would bring you glory, restoring our joy and unity as the body of Christ. God, we love you, and we desperately need you. So let us glean from your word today, knowing that if we do that, we will indeed glorify you, that it will benefit our marriages, our families, our friends, it will benefit our church and our community. So may the gospel message be spread because of your word and our fellowship this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the title this morning is Heavenly Instructions on Relationships. Be like Christ. Now we can just pray and go home, right? You know what you need to do. Be like Christ. See you next week. Our main text is Philippians 2, 1 through 4. We were actually going to do verses 1 through 11 today. I got done with the message on Friday night, and I hit the delete button Saturday morning and started over. Um, God had a different direction for us. So here we are. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Let's read our main text. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, I don't know, maybe you've heard somebody say, or maybe it's just a, a pastor's thing, I don't know, but you will hear him say, man, ministry is amazing. The most amazing thing about ministry is the people. Oh, man, I just, I love God, I love people. It's amazing. But in the same breath, you're going to hear them say, man, ministry is so hard. The hardest thing about ministry is people. It's hand in hand. I don't know, maybe you can resonate with that. We love God and we love people, or do we? we? We love the cool, calm, and lovely people, don't we? But do we love the amped up, wild, and the <clears throat> unlovelies? We've all had our own frustrations from time to time with people, and you have to admit that you've probably said at one time or another, I, I like those people and eh, I don't really care for those people. Maybe you've even said that about a, a Christian brother or sister. People can be hurtful, prideful, spiteful. We understand that people can be careless. They can be heartless, even thoughtless and tactless. How many of you are encouraged so far this morning? It's in our interactions with people, we've talked about this, that we can lose our joy. People can rob us of our joy. Even this morning, I'm bringing Pam. We came a little bit early. We stopped at Starbucks. There was only one person in the drive-thru. And it took forever. I won't say why, but somebody stole my joy. <laughs> I just wanted to get Pam ca coffee and a sandwich. That's all I wanted. How quickly we can shift, though, when everything is going good, because somebody else does something, well, we lose our joy. 
We've been talking the last few weeks about Paul and joy, and, and in that we've seen that nothing and no one can steal Paul's joy, even in chains, even with somebody uh, talking smack about him, trying to drag him down, they cannot steal his joy. This whole book, we've talked about it, the theme is about joy and unity in the body of Christ, individually and as the Christian body, as a church. Paul understands that people can be the biggest challenge of our joy. But like I said a few weeks ago, you and I are people too. Meaning that we have caused somebody to lose their joy at one time or another. I'll admit, I probably have. (laughs) We too are fallen creatures. We too are part of the problem. There's a psychiatrist that was doing rounds and he walked into his patient's room and he saw his patient sitting on the floor and there was another patient hanging upside down from the ceiling. The patient sitting on the floor was pretending to saw a board in half. The doc said, uh, asked him, what's your friend doing hanging upside down from the ceiling? His patient said, well, that, that's my friend. He thinks he's a light bulb. He, he's kind of crazy. The doc looked at the patient hanging from the ceiling and noticed his face was turning red and it was getting redder by the minute. He looked at his patient on the floor. He said, well, if this is your friend, you should tell him maybe to get down before he hurts himself. His patient responded, well, if I did that, I'd be working in the dark. You see, his patient didn't think he had a problem. It was his friend who's hanging upside down. Actually, they both had some issues. What do we do with problem people? Harder question. What do you do when you are the problem person? And to that, what should we really do as Christians? You see, as Christians, we should be different. We should respond differently. We should get along with others better. But so often... We don't respond well. Is it just me? Sometimes we don't respond well to others. We don't don't think about what's going on around us. And I have a friend who pastors in uh, Pueblo. And uh, he was in the Taco Bell. I don't know why he'd go to Taco Bell. But he was in the Taco Bell drive-thru. And he was behind a car. And he noticed it was somebody from the church. And so he kind of tapped the horn. was trying to wave at him. Nothing, no response. Tapped the horn again, waving at him, no response. Tapped it a third time. The guy in the car in front of him leans out the window and gives the pastor the bird. Oh, well, hello. Why do we respond the way we do so quickly in the flesh? They had just left the church. There was a conversation later that he told me about, but we'll leave that out. Why do we struggle that way? Why do we not respond well? We have two conflicting natures. Paul addressed this in Romans 7, 14 through 25, and it's there that he explains very well the conflict of the two natures. We're gonna read that, Romans 7, 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. 
For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells within me. I find the principle that of evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man am I. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. I don't know about you, if you've studied this scripture before, if you've heard it before, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with this passage. I'd rather have Paul say, why do I do the good things I do? I want to do the bad, but no, I do the good instead. Can we go that direction instead? Why do I do the things I do? I know the right thing, yet I do the opposite. I joyfully agree with God's word. I say yes and amen, but yet the flesh wages war against me. That's those two natures that are battling continually. You and I as Christians all have this internal struggle with the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. So we're in this battle. And honestly, sometimes the flesh wins, doesn't it? probably more often than it should. And when the flesh wins, relationships get strained. Maybe it's your relationship with God or your spouse or your friends, but but when the flesh engages and it wins, it causes damage in relationships. The church at Philippi, it's a good church. It's a growing church. It's a loving church. It's a, a mature church. And Paul had a very close, intimate relationship with the Philippians. Perhaps a better relationship with them than any other church. He wasn't really bringing correction to them like he did to the other churches. He was bringing more of an exhortation. However, there were tensions even within this church that was doing so well, and we'll see them as we go through this letter together. But we start with seeing that Jesus is setting the example in humility. It shows us that we are to live the same way. In today's passage, in verses one through four, our focus is on others, on others. Next week, when we go verses five through 11, we're gonna see five through eight. It's focusing on having a mind of Christ and being humble. And then when we get into verses nine through 11, focusing on the mind of God and the exaltation of Christ. But today, uh, we're starting with how they, how we are to get along with others. Verse one, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion. Now you've heard it before and you've heard me say it before, but whenever we see the word therefore, it makes us ask, what's it there for? It takes us back to the end of last week's study in Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God, 
For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Last week, Paul is instructing them how to stand strong for the Lord uh, against an external conflict. And now as we move forward, he's telling them how to act when confronted with internal conflicts in the body of Christ. If there is any encouragement, if, it's not a question here, it's argumentative, it's a strong statement. This is the beginning of a strong exhortation from Paul to the believers to be in unity, to live in humility, and to love each other. The root of the idea here is that if the believers have received the things he's about to tell them, then they have a responsibility to do what he is instructing them to do. See, you and I as believers are responsible for what we hear from God through his word, through the Holy Spirit, even through the counsel of godly men and women. And once we hear that, we then have a choice. We can obey and listen to what God is saying, or we can choose to do our own thing and just keep going. We reap what we sow. You can look at Luke 12 later, take a study on that passage. Clark said it's extremely difficult to give the force of these expressions. They contain a torrent of most affecting eloquence. The apostle pouring out his whole heart to people whom with all his heart he loved, and who were worthy of the love even of an apostle. You see, Paul loves them deeply. He's communicating with them in love. He's built a relationship with them. There's a mutual love, a mutual respect. There's a strong relationship that's been built there. It's a healthy relationship. To that, I ask you, are you building healthy relationships? When you became a believer, there were probably some folks that you needed to kind of let go because their influence was pulling you a different direction than where God wanted you to go. We continually have to do that. Are there people in your life that, that are building you up and that you're building them up and you're growing and you're becoming stronger in the Lord because of them? Work on those relationships. Are there relationships where it's a continual teardown? You need to distance yourself. It doesn't mean you can't minister to them or encourage them or pray for them, but put some distance between you and them. If there's any encouragement in Christ, this, is, this and the next few questions here are rhetorical. He knew, and the Philippians knew, that there is indeed encouragement in Christ. Each one of us should know this as well. In Luke 2.25, Jesus' title was the consolation or the encouragement of Israel. In 2 Corinthians 1.5, our suffering for Christ brings encouragement from Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2.16, Paul said, Christ loves us so much that he gives us endless encouragement. Encouragement in Christ. Spurgeon puts it this way, the Holy Spirit consoles, but Christ is the consolation. If I may use the figure, the Holy Spirit is the physician, but Christ is the medicine. If there's any consolation or comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, affection and compassion. See, every Christian should know what it is to have Jesus give them the comfort of love. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so we can relax, eat popcorn, and watch the freak show go on around us. 
No. So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with comfort, which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as we follow the Lord in obedience, we can be sure that he will come to our aid. First, because his, it is his nature to do so. And second, because through our adversities, he trains us to trust him in greater ways. He trains us how to comfort others. If we're going to be his representative, then we've got to experience his comfort. How are you going to experience his comfort if you're not going through anything that you need comforted in? That's the hard part. If this happens, then we will then have the tools that we need to encourage other hurting souls. You know, when uh, Caleb was talking about foster care and he was saying you have to do trauma training, there's something that's awesome in there is teaching you how to be empathetic. How many of you know as you go through something, all of a sudden your empathy changes for somebody in a situation? If you've been in a car accident, right? All of a sudden you're empathetic about what paramedics do when they get there, what the police are doing, or of somebody who actually got injured in a car accident. And when you see them, you're able to go and comfort them, encourage them, pray for them, right? It's those things that we go through in life that give us that opportunity and ability to be empathetic, to share with compassion and to love people. God is the God of all comfort. There is no way he cannot comfort us. There are no circumstances beyond his comfort. But it's more than just consolation or comfort. This is the comfort of love. Paraclesis in the Greek means more than just soothing sympathy. It's a comfort that brings strengthening. It helps make strong. In the Latin, it's fortis. It means brave. So the love of God in our lives makes us strong and brave. So yes, there is comfort of love. Fellowship of the Spirit. Paul knew and valued fellowship of the Spirit. Every single one of us as Christians should know it. We know what having fellowship of the Spirit is. That's how we engage on a daily basis, or we should be. Fellowship, koinonia in the Greek, meaning sharing things in common. Here in this place where we meet, um, we fellowship. We spell fellowship F-O-O-D usually. And it's, last time it was hot dogs. Before that, we had pots of chili, right? We fellowship, we get together. But this is a deeper, deeper meaning. And I mean, you all make a mean pot of chili, but this is better than that. We share life with the Spirit of God like we've never known before. You ever have those moments in worship or in study or in prayer where you just feel God's presence? There's just a sense of peace. Pause, we're quiet. Why don't we pursue that more? We should, right? That's, that's what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit fills us and guides us and moves. He moves. The Holy Spirit moves in and through our lives in a powerful and precise and, and precious way. It's, it's not something scattered and everything always focuses to Christ. It's all together and has purpose. In my daily routine and, and when I do discipleship and that discipleship process, I always say that as you start the day, you should do four things. One, man, you get in God's word as quick as you can. Listen to what he's saying. Two, you pray, you, but don't just talk at God. Listen to what he's saying. Three, you seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you leak. We leak. 
God, fill me up with your Holy Spirit today. Let me be ready for all that you have for me to do. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit so I can pour out, so I can be a vessel and be used today. Because that number four then is to share hope with others. As you're led by the Holy Spirit through these four things, you watch and see that relationship with God grows and you're effective in ministry and you're doing things you never thought you would do before. Holy Spirit driven. So of course there's fellowship of the Spirit but we have to take the time. We have to choose to do some work on our own. It's right there for us. But we have to make a, cho a choice to engage. We have to make a choice to take the time. Trapp says, The Lord doth usually and graciously water uh, the holy fellowship of his people with the dews of many sweet and glorious refreshings so that they have a very heaven upon earth. This is what helps us breathe in times of chaos and turmoil. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill us. Amen. If you have the Holy Spirit and you're filled up and you're ready and something happens, so much easier, so much better, right? There, there's a focus and ability to go through it um, with less stress. It doesn't change the circumstances, but it changes who you are and how you approach it, knowing that God is there with you. Last, the affection and the mercy. This is the assumption on Paul's part that every Christian knows something about God's affection and mercy. Kind of a duh moment with Paul. If there is any affection and mercy, well, if water is wet or fire is hot or rocks are hard, of course we have affection and mercy in Christ. All because of what Jesus did on the cross. Each of these gifts are communicated to us directly through God's word and indirectly through the Holy Spirit, and they are for every single Christian, not just for a select few. You see, as we follow God in obedience, we can count on him to come to our aid. He will come to our rescue. He'll meet our needs, not our wants, but our needs. And that's hard for us sometimes to understand because we see a want as a need, God, what do we really need? Help us stay focused on that. Not my will in this, but your will be done. You see, we want the easy out button where we just hit that big red button and out of it. But it's through adversity that we receive training to trust in him in ways that we never thought possible. He trains us how to comfort others in their deepest and darkest times because he has comforted us and brought us out of deep and dark times. If we're to be his representative, we've got to receive his encouragement personally first. Then we're equipped to encourage others who are hurting. And again, I repeat, do not waste your trial or your struggle. Don't waste what you're walking through right now. It's a hard time. It's okay. Keep walking. Don't waste it. What are you learning in and through that process? What is it that you can give to somebody else? You can use it to comfort others. I would tell you that these last eight years, I have a much better perception and understanding of what happens in an oncology office, in hospitals, in ERs, in <laughs> clinics. Uh, I have, I probably can get my BSN right now. Um, how to do IVs, how to measure medications. How, but in that, it's taught me also how to be empathetic as I hear somebody else is going through something, 
right? There's an opportunity for me to be able to even listen. Just somebody knowing what I've gone through gives them an opportunity to share. I don't even have to say a word, but they know that I'm understanding what it is they're going through, right? Don't waste what you're going through. Use it to comfort other people. Then we get the exhortation of how to do this, verse two through four, Philippians two. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Sounds easy, right? You got it down pat? Good to go? We don't need to talk about this then. You see, when the world looks at a church and when the world looks at Christians as a whole, they see and hear more about what we do not do and what we do not believe than what we do and what we believe. Then churches and Christians and cults and everything are lumped into one big pile of religion and holy arrogance. Within evangelicals, we have denominations, divides on doctrine, but then there's infighting even in the denominations. So when the world looks at the church, they just see a bunch of grumpy people that are legalistic and hold up their line at Starbucks on Sunday morning. What is it that they really see? J. Vernon McGee calls it strife and vain glory that causes much church divisions. He goes on to say, lowliness of mind and consideration of others will produce harmonious relationships. Everything we do in life will be more successful if we make it about others and not about ourselves. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. How then does the world, or let's even dial it down a little, how does our community see us as a church? Do they even know we're here? We got a sign out front. Can't really see it. Like, do they know we're here? Are we making an impact? Let's dial it down a little more. How does the world view you as a Christian? How about your job? Do they even know you're a Christian where you work? Could they tell a difference? Um, What about school? Do your classmates know that you're a believer? That you're a Christian? That there's something different about you? How about your family? Does everybody in your family know you're a Christian? I have family members who are not saved. Um, You know, it's pretty left-leaning, not just the not saved. 
They're pretty far out there in a way. But every time we have a death in the family, who gets the phone call to do the service? Do they know I'm a Christian? Yes. Do they get to hear the gospel message? Every single time. Otherwise, I won't do the service. Does your family know that you're a follower of Christ? Is there something different about you? Let's go even further. Does your spouse know you're a Christian? Ouch. Do you act like it? Do you live like it? Coworkers, classmates, everybody that looks at you, do they view you and see you and do they say, oh, they're a Christian. There's something good about them. There's something different there. Because you look so good as a Christian, do they desire to do the same? Do they desire to know more? Or do they stiff arm it and say, ooh, don't want none of that? Personal request from Paul. Make my joy complete. They knew Paul, and adhering to his words, they knew that it would make him happy. Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on, on one purpose. These all speak to that abiding internal unity within the Philippians circle of believers. Unity is the goal, the, the, the main point. Unity in, in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had one focus. They were working together with that focus. It says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. It's a first step to this kind of unity. In the flesh, we're so often motivated by selfish ambition or conceit. Much of what we do is not done out of love for others. I mean, if you think about it, if you're honest, a lot of what we do is to benefit ourselves. That's how we do things. We want to be comfortable. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We like comfort. Nobody signed up for Suffering 101. So what do we do to help make ourselves comfortable? Much of what we do is not done out of love for others. It's out of a desire for advancement or promotion, selfish ambition. But we also have to remember that not all ambition is selfish. There's good ambition that glorifies God. When we serve him with everything that we have, and in that, that we do nothing of conceit or we don't think too highly of ourselves or having a excessive self-interest or self-preoccupation, empty or vain conceit could literally be translated empty glory. The dictionary says uh, conceit is an excessively favorable opinion of one, uh, one's own ability and importance. I know one thing is I'm pastor of the church, right? It's, there's, there's somebody better than me. <laughs> there's somebody better than me that could be in this pulpit, that could lead this church, that could be engaged in ministry in this community. I humbly submit and surrender to the Lord and whatever he wants me to do, and I will do that until he tells me otherwise, right? What is our mindset? If I walk up here and I let you guys know and put my three-piece suit on that I am it, hey, we're in trouble because <laughs> I'm not it, <laughs> What is it that God is doing? How is God being glorified? And can we humbly submit to his direction? We can't think that we're so important, that we're, um, we can't be replaced, that we are so able, we're so talented. If we're thinking that way, then we're out of God's will. It, it is in humility, it is with fear and trembling that I even approach the platform on a Sunday morning. That's my prayer on the way in every Sunday. God, I surrender myself to you. I, I humble myself before you. 
You know, it's in James 4. It says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And we like that part, right? Yeah, I'll get rid of my pride and be humble. But in the middle of that section of scripture there, it says, basically, wash, your, wash yourself, cleanse yourself, you scumbag. <laughs> you dirty person. Cry, weep, mourn, wail. Break yourself down before the Lord. Because it's when we're broken and, and humble and we've asked God to cleanse us and forgive us and we've laid it all out there. It's at that point that God truly lifts us up. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before the Lord after you have cleaned yourself up and you've repented and you've laid it all out before him. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. You don't have to lift you up. That's the best way to live life, letting him be the one that, that lifts you up to where you need to be. If we're doing those things, we're working against the unity that Paul pleaded with the Philippians and for all Christians to have. We have to remember that we ain't all that. It's not all about us. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That doesn't hold well in our world. It contradicts the very attitude of superiority in the world. Humility of mind or lowliness of mind is the least attractive thing to think of as being important. Even the ancient Greek culture saw humility and lowliness of mind as a fault. It was a defect, not a virtue. Linsky says that the uh, pagan and the secular idea of manhood is self-assertiveness, imposing one's will on others. When anyone stooped to others, he did so under compulsion Hence, his action was disgraceful. Christian ethical idea of humility could not be reached by secular minds. It lacked the spiritual soil. The Spurgeon said that the apostle knew that to create concord, you needed to first beget lowliness of mind. Men do not quarrel when their ambitions have come to an end. What causes those fights and those quarrels and those wars that wage? It's when people have their own ambitions. Thinking of others better than yourself, though, is a rebuke to our culture. We have a very selfish culture. We have magazines that help us build our self-esteem. There's even a magazine called Self. Anybody seen that one? Has anybody bought it? Okay, because we're going to talk later. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to carry a confident superiority in every situation, continuously, every day, all the time. Doesn't mean that we can't be confident in who we are in Christ. Doesn't mean we can't be confident in the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given us. We always operate in humility. Jesus walked the earth with all authority, didn't he? And humility as he washed the feet of the disciples. That should be our perspective. The other side of that is low self-esteem. It comes from maybe life circumstances, low self-esteem, low self-worth. Comes from maybe even sin in our lives. We don't want to live in either of those headspaces. We've got to have that balance of who am I in Christ and what am I to do? Who am I in Christ? Not who am I in the eyes of the world. When we think about others as being more important than ourselves, we begin to have a genuine concern that, that builds up others' self-esteem. And when we're building other people up, what does it do to us? Well, it builds us up. When we're serving others... It does something inside of us as well. 
Pam and I learned this early in our marriage. If I try to outserve her and she tries to outserve me, what happens to all the conflict and tension in the house? It's gone. The only thing we argue about is the fact that she doesn't load the dishwasher right. Other than that, we're good. Well, wait, maybe it's me that doesn't load it right. I don't know. <clears throat> you see, if I consider her above me, it takes away the tension. If, if I consider you above me, if, if I encourage you and help you see and understand, I was praying with somebody in first service, two people, and I was just reminding them how valuable they are. Like if we can value people and lift people up, something amazing happens. We, we see those healthy relationships grow individually and we develop a church and a community where everybody's looking up at each other instead of down on each other. Again, I've learned this and apparently I'm still learning it through Pam's health stuff. If I make any of the things that I do for her about me, She's not here to testify, but she nodded her head vigorously for service. <laughs> if I make it about me, I get grumpy. Selfishness rises to the surface so quickly, doesn't it? We think about daily routines. What are those things that we do? She has a trifusion line. I have to clean the lines every day, every morning. We've got, let's see, 10, 3, 6, 9, 10. 10 medicine cups each day. Each one has specific medicines that have to be lined out. Like if I make any of that stuff about me, I'm grumpy. But if I turn and I say, you know what, I'm here to serve her. I'm here to serve you, honey. I love you. If that service attitude is there in everything we do, life's a lot easier, isn't it? As opposed to walking in being a little grumpy. Keep the proper perspective and simply serve. There will be peace. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but look for the interests of others as well. And Paul's exclamation point here, when we put away our selfish ambition, our conceit, uh, tendencies to be self-absorbed or wholly arrogant, we naturally and easily have a greater concern for the needs of others and interests of others. It is in this that Paul doesn't tell us not to look out for our own interests because we do need to take care of our own business, Right? All of us. We have things we have to do, don't we? We have responsibilities. We have jobs. We have whatever those responsibilities may be. It's okay to do those things, but don't let that be the priority. Remember why you're doing those things. Why do I go to work in the morning? Oh, so I can pay the bills and I can feed the family. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> do it with the right heart and with the right mindset, with the right attitude. Don't let yourself, your business be the thing, the only thing that you're looking out for. Genuine Christianity. That's what we want. It's through the joyful unity of believers that we testify most effectively. Our actions and our love for each other as believers show us that the gospel message is unique, that it's real, that it's powerful, that it is, it is indeed welcoming for anybody who would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the only harmony that'll happen. You know, you all have driven around Lakewood and you've seen the coexist bumper stickers, yes? You realize coexist will not work as a Christian, right? It's not gonna work because we stand for God's word, we stand for God's truth. That goes against everything else that's on that sticker. 
the only thing that's truly going to work, the only harmony that we're truly going to have as Christians is when it's focused on the gospel. When we're focused on the gospel message and the truth of God's word, there is unity in the body of Christ. Then we're going to see things like the scene in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After these things, I looked to behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues stand before the throne of the Lamb of God clothed in white robes and palm branches are in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now I typed that out. Yesterday it gave me goosebumps. I know it's not all about the goosebumps. But can you imagine the scene? Worshiping God with all those people, all his creation, just worshiping. Man, I want to be there. Amen? As believers, we also have to remember that we're not in competition with other believers. I am not in competition with you. Man, my prayer is that you are an evangelist of evangelists and that you lead people to the Lord every single day. Matter of fact, I pray that you're the one who leads that last person to the Lord so we can be out of here. <laughs> Please, get busy. Let's go to work. We're not trying to see who's the most godly, who's the most influential. And I've told you before, maybe you and I have had a conversation and back in the, in the, uh, back of the auditorium, you know, when you're like, hey, we're looking for a church, and I'm like, hey, cool, let me pray for you, or let's talk about it. I'm not, about, I'm not a recruiter. <laughs> Where does God want you to be? Let's help you be there. If it's here, praise God. Let's, let's pray about that, and I'll pray with them. And, and, and man, if it's here, great. If it's not, then, well, let me help you. You know, I know Pastor John. He's down on Garrison. I know Pastor Mike. He's on the other side of, of Wadsworth. I, I know Pastor Jim. He's down the street. I mean, let's get you to another Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Like, it's not all about that. The, these other pastors in our community, they're not the competition. We're brothers in Christ. Now, do I have a certain focus and belief? And there's a reason I go to a Calvary Chapel I love it. I love the teaching. I love the approach. But there are other Bible-believing and teaching churches in our community. Let's just make sure we get people plugged into them. I did the same thing in youth ministry. I watched our youth ministry explode because we were helping kids get to other churches that were in their own neighborhoods. And ours grew. Man, let's just be obedient. God, where do you want people to be? Help them get there and help us to get them where they need to be. Amen? You and I are to proclaim the gospel regardless of circumstances. You and I are to proclaim the gospel regardless of who we're proclaiming it to. Now, we like to talk to people about God who are, like I said earlier, the lovelies. Oh, they're really nice. Yeah, I'm gonna share the Lord with them. What about the homeless guy? And I've seen that guy forever. He's... No, what about sharing the gospel with him? What about the person that's struggling with, um, the, in the trans community or the LGBTQ community? Like, aren't you ready to reach out to them? Who needs the gospel more? Everybody. Everybody. So who is it that the Holy Spirit is leading you to share the gospel with? We are to be ambassadors or representatives of Christ. We are to do that so others will be saved. It doesn't doesn't matter who they are. And it's not about who's going to be first. 
or I'm going to do the most, or I'm going to do the best. And Jesus even said in Mark 10, 44 and 45, whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So how do we build strong personal relationships? How do we build relationships in the church? We be more Christ-like. We strive to be more Christ-like. We put the old man to death. God's desire for all who know him is for us to become more Christ-like on a daily basis. We do this by growing in our knowledge of Christ first. It stands the reason that we cannot grow to be like somebody we do not know. You've heard it said before, oh, I'll grow up to be like my dad. Why do you want to grow up to be like your dad? Because you know him. I want to grow up to be like Christ. Oh, well, I need to know him. I need to know him. The deeper our knowledge of Christ, the deeper our understanding of him, the more like him we become. Among other reasons, we are to know and understand Christ is so that we're going to be secure in our faith, individually secure. Being secure in our faith brings us that, that strength and that unity in the body of Christ and in the church. And I've asked you guys before, why do you believe what you believe to be truth? And can you defend it? Why do you believe what you believe? And can you defend it? The Apostle Paul reiterates this truth in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. It's not in the slides. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working in each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I've told you before, we don't do life alone. Christians are, are not called to go it alone in our faith, in our walk with God. God has fit us together as the church, as the body of Christ, so we can be an encouragement to one another, that we walk with each other. You guys have reminded me that. I remind you all the time, but then I get phone calls and texts throughout the week. Even this last week, it was a rough week. I'm getting text messages and scriptures and phone calls. You guys are walking with us. You're reminding me, hey, Scott, don't walk alone. Oh, yeah. Don't walk alone. It's important for all of us individually to live in submission to him so that others in the body can mature. They can have what they need to do their part in the ministry. The fact is repeated once more in 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18, also not in the slides. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard. So you're not carried away by every error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Guys, it's something that we must do as Christians is that we've got to pay attention to what we hear men and women teach. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. And originally when I had this message written out, I had some names there. I took them all out. Pay attention to who you're receiving teaching from. You can YouTube anybody. Some of them you should delete and not YouTube ever again. Pay attention to what they're teaching. Don't get caught up 
in all their mess. God wants us to continue to grow spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and he's provided a way for us to do it through reading and studying his word. This is why we cannot just do Sunday morning Bible study. You've got to be in the word every day. It's where we renew our minds. It's where we learn even more about him and his truth. These passages show us that that growing in the knowledge of Christ are going to preserve us from from faith-destroying error. Knowledge of Christ will build up and preserve our relationships. The more we know him, the better we are relationally with people. It just happens that way. It also helps us extend a lot more grace and mercy towards others because then we realize how much grace and mercy God gave us. We need to give it out the same way. And of course, knowledge alone does not produce Christ-like character. The knowledge we gain from God's word must impact our hearts and convict us of the need to obey what we have learned. And in Romans 12, it tells us emphatically that the process of filling our minds with the knowledge of God not only brings us closer to Christ-likeness, But obedience to that knowledge aligns us with his perfect will, the perfect will of God. How many of you want to know God's will? All of us. Just me. Okay. Like be in God's word. Does that mean you're going to know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow? No, but I guarantee when you wake up tomorrow, you're going to be in God's will. Stay in his word. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. The natural consequence of knowing and obeying God is that he becomes greater and greater, while we become less and less. We yield control of our lives to him. Just as John the Baptist knew uh, that Jesus must increase and he must decrease. So the Christian grows to reflect more of Christ and less of his own nature. Luke sums it up best when he describes what Jesus told his disciples in Luke 9. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. The cross. An instrument of death. Jesus encourages us to take up our cross in order to put to death our old sin nature on it. God wants us to forget about this, this world. Remember, we're just passing through. It's all temporary. He wants us to forget about all the temporary pleasures. He wants us to be obedient to his word now. Jesus. Jesus is the living word. The Bible is God's written word. Therefore, conforming to the word of God is conforming to Christ. It's important to realize that becoming more like Christ starts by receiving him as savior from our sins. Then we grow in our knowledge of God by reading the Bible daily, by studying it, by being obedient to what it says. This is the process that it causes us to grow and it occurs over a lifetime. You're not gonna read this today or hear this message today and go, okay, I got it, arrived. This is lifetime. I told you guys last week, man, I struggled, was grinding. I should know better, right? Because I already learned all that. It's lifetime. Okay, Lord, here I am. I surrender my will to you.
Only when we've entered heaven for eternity with God does that process reach its culmination. Then we can be done. But until then, we do the work. We stay focused on what he has for us to do. Amen? Let's build those relationships. Let's work, at, let's work hard at that relationship with God. And let's work on our relationships with each other, with other believers. And let's build off of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your desire to talk to us, to teach us through your word, to help us build godly relationships with our, our spouse, our family, our, our friends, our co-workers. God, even those that are here in this place, all for your glory. We ask that you would truly help us break our hearts for those that are not lovely. Help us not just love the lovelies, but the unlovelies, those who are struggling, those who are truly hurting. We ask for your help as we battle in the spirit against the flesh, that we battle against sin that seeks to truly take us out, to kill us and destroy us. We ask that you help our conduct to be that which would truly glorify you. Thank you for comforting us and teaching us. And I ask that you help us use the things that, that we're going through in life right now to bring comfort to others. Help us to remember those things that we've already gone through and use that as well. Help us to serve others well and to be genuine in our love for you and in our love for others. Everything we do as a ministry is about the gospel message. Love God and love each other. That's, that's what you see when you walk in the door. And how do we do that? First of all, by personally surrendering our lives to God and, and then encouraging others to do the same. The gospel message, God had a plan from the beginning of time. He created the heavens and the earth and it was perfect. He created man and woman in his image and it was perfect until sin entered the garden. And Satan brought sin into the garden and Adam and Eve engaged in sin and that severed the, that close relationship that they had with God and it created a void in their hearts. And ever since that point, men and women have tried everything they can to fill that void Fill it with drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, money, success, fame, anything they can, but, but none of those things will last. They'll all fade away. The only thing that could fill that void is Jesus. Jesus, God's son, left his throne in heaven, became a man, knowing that he would be the sacrifice that would cover all of our sins. He was brutally nailed to the cross where he died. He was put into a grave where he rose three days later and is in heaven with the Father right now. It's because of that act that we can repent, confessing our sin and believing in Jesus. Confess and believe. Confess that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Yes, there's that initial moment that we do surrender our life to the Lord, that, that thing that happens right now. You're not gonna see some big glowing light, 
but something changes inside of you. And, and then it's a lifetime of surrender and a daily walk like we were just talking about. It's, it's something that happens every day. That's what makes Christianity unique. If you could hear my voice, you need to understand that God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And if you feel the Holy Spirit tug, tugging at your heart and drawing you towards him and, and to having a relationship with him, I'm gonna ask you to say a simple prayer with me. And that conversation from your heart to God's heart, with every head bowed and every eye closed, pray something like this, if that's you. Dear God, I realize today that I need a relationship with you. And I need a relationship with other believers. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord of my life. And I believe that God raised him from the dead. I need you in my life. Fill me with your spirit and use me to share the hope that I have now with others. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer in this room, I'd love to chat with you, pray with you. If you prayed it online, just shoot me an email, scott at foothillscalvary.org and uh, reach out to you as well. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.